Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy. That's where we're going to be for the next seven weeks in 1 Timothy. Like I talked about, this is sort of at the outset of our building our understanding of of uh, covenant membership, and we also, just as a people, if, if, we're, if we're on that path, we want to understand what it means to be a healthy church. Um, again, we've spent a lot of time deconstructing what church looks like. We've spent a lot of time, yeah, Larry has Bibles, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, Larry's got one for you, just throw your hand in the air. Yeah, great, perfect. Okay, good. Uh, we've spent a lot of time deconstructing some of these ideas. Some of these ideas that we've talked about uh, a lot are that the church is not a building. The church is God's people coming together. Um, buildings don't matter. Buildings are, buildings are secondary. We, we in our culture often identify church as a building. We're like, I'm going to, where do we go? We go to church. But rather than go to church, we are the church. We are God's people. And so when we come together, we're, we're deconstructing that idea. Um, the other part that we're, we're, uh, we're deconstructing is that it's a once-a-week activity. We, we, we know that relationship is imperative. One, because God has created us in His image, right? We are image bearers of God, um, and He is a relational God. He lives in perfect harmony with Himself and the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, continually living together in perfect harmony in relationship with Himself. I mean, he, as an outflow, that longs to have relationship with us. This is the gospel. Um, because we were uh, alienated because of our sin, we were born into sin, we were born into Adam, and we sin regularly, we frequently sin because of our sin nature, um, our right relationship with God was broken. Um, but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came and restored the way to God the Father, restored the way to have right relationship with Him. And the outworking of that is that we have right relationship with one another. That is the outworking of it. So, so we're deconstructing some of these ideas, right? Um, another one, just that we've talked about a lot, is that life is a mess. Stuff happens, life is messy. Um, so what do we do as those who live together in relationship with one another? We don't push that mess off to the side. We don't sweep things under the rug. But we actively say to one another, we exist to support, to live together as those who desire to speak gospel truth into one another's lives so that we might support, love, encourage, edify, build up, and ultimately persevere together as people. Um, so now what we want to do as we move to 1 Timothy, we want to rebuild what we've been, we've been sort of chipping away at some of these ideas. We've been chipping away. And it's really good that we've been doing that, but what we can't do is just leave this vacuum. We can't leave this void. It needs to be filled. It needs to be filled with a correct understanding of church. So even as I've said, we are deconstructing our understanding and idea of church. What we want to do is, in, this, in its place, is reconstruct a healthy understanding of church. So we've even entitled this sermon series, Reconstruct, Building a Healthy Understanding of Church. Because we want to, as people, be in a place where we know what the purposes of God's people are. So we have a lot of work to do because we're going to tackle all of chapter 1 in 1 Timothy this morning. Um, and I promise that I won't go crazy. Um, we'll keep it to a reasonable amount of time this morning. Um, 
But uh, what we want to do is, as we consider what it means to partner together, as we're moving together towards church membership, as we're moving together towards covenant membership, we need to build this understanding because if we get to a place where we we're ready to 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 partner together in a in a really uh, in a weighty sort of way, and we don't understand what church is, then we're all going to be off doing our own things. But rather, we want to be unified. We want to be unified under the banner of the gospel. And so um, I've even entitled this sermon this morning, The Defense of Gospel Unity, and we'll dive in and we'll see how Paul admonishes and encourages Timothy in this very idea, defending gospel unity. So let's read this text together this morning. It's 1 Timothy, we'll just read the whole, whole of chapter 1. Um, I think on the on the community group discussion guides, I put 1 through 18 because originally I had cut it off, but I think we just want to focus on the whole chapter this morning. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Jesus Christ, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. If it is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost, of all. Yet for this reason I have found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This commandment I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith, 
Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we look at this text this morning, there's a lot here. God, we pray that you grant us grace. God, I pray that you grant us ears to hear. God, I pray that you would give us the ability to, to be unified under the banner of gospel truth. And we want to be a church that brings you glory. We want to be a church that, that partners together, that meets regularly together in order to build one another up, to love one another, encourage one another, to edify one another. God, I pray that we be a, a church that, that helps us work out gospel truth in our family context. But God, I pray that we be a generous people, a people who are overflowing with generosity because we recognize that we've been made stewards over what you have given us. God, that the outflow and outworking of that would be a recognition that we don't own what we have but that each and every penny in our bank account, each and every penny that comes from our paycheck is yours. Oh God, I pray that we would together be a people who desire to see the good news of Jesus Christ advanced in our community. That we would not just simply care about our own spot in society, that we would not just get be myopic and sit in one spot, God, but that we would recognize that we have been commanded and it is, it is a matter of obedience to take the gospel, to tell the story of what Jesus has done in our own lives to those who we engage regularly. Oh God, we praise you and we thank you for your word. God, we pray that we praise that you that we can come to it and recognize that it's totally sufficient. That there is no insufficiency but you have spoken your very word to us, God, and that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the word made flesh. God, grant us the grace now as we look at, um, as we look at this passage together and begin to understand what it means to be a healthy church. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Okay, so, so as we look at this passage, um, the, there's already a summary statement that I want to give you this morning. This is the big idea. What Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy is simply this. Paul urges Timothy to engage in the defense of the gospel for the good of the church and the sake of unity. Paul urges Timothy to engage in the defense of the gospel for the good of the church and the sake of unity. So as we look at Timothy, as we look at this book... This is a book written directly to one man, written directly to one man by Paul, right? And this guy, he, Timothy, he was, a, he was Paul's, uh, Paul's disciple in that Paul was discipling him actively. Um, but there are three things particularly that Paul hits on for Timothy right out of the gate. We're going to talk about each of these three things this morning. Um, one, distractions. Paul talks about distractions facing the church. Two, discernment. Paul talks about the fact that the church needs to be a body that discerns together. And then three, doxology, which is a word that we might not be familiar with, but we'll get to it. We'll talk about it. Doxology, Paul praises God for what he has done in his own life and then steers Timothy towards that direction as one who seeks to sing of God's praises. Okay. So before we jump into verse 3, where we sort of see these distractions coming out, we want to, want to focus just briefly on the greeting that, that Paul gives us, that Paul gives to Timothy. 
Here is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. So we look at this, this greeting that Paul gives to, to Timothy. Um, we see that Paul is the sender. He's an apostle. He has the authority to speak these words. He's speaking the very words of God. He recognizes that. These are inspired words that he's writing to Timothy. And then we see the, the recipient being Timothy. Paul calls him in verse 2, my true child. Paul calls him my true child. So Paul is saying, Timothy, I am your true father. And if we, if we look back to where we're sort of introduced in Scripture to Timothy in, in chapter 16 of the book of Acts, um, we see that Paul's or Timothy's dad was a Greek and his mother was a Jew and that there was a bit of a conflict there. But, but what we know now is that Paul has taken Timothy under his wing and he said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to raise you spiritually. I, you are my spiritual child. And so immediately we have some, some significant import for what this looks like in the church. Um, some of us have good dads and some of us have bad dads. Some of us have absent dads. And maybe you have a good family or maybe you came from a family that's not so great. Um, but Paul's love for Timothy is apparent here. And this is rooted in the good news of the gospel. It's rooted in who Jesus is. It's not rooted in something external. It's not rooted in biological factors. But it's rooted in who Jesus is. So for us as a church, for those of us who are younger, we also need, as we have biological parents, we also are in need of spiritual parents. We need some, for some of us that looks like people who, who are our biological parents, that, that could be a one-to-one, -one, but it also might not be because we come from a broken scenario, a broken situation where our parents are no longer in the, in, in, in the picture, or at least in the picture spiritually. And so for us as a church, as a family, we come together and we say, um, there are those of us who are mature, who are mature in, in Christ, and, and those people take those other people, just like Paul to Timothy under his wing, and give them uh, a, a spiritual, spiritual parentage. It is found in the local church in discipleship relationships. So Buffalo City Church exists as those who come together and live in a way that promotes that type of community. We're talking about relationship. Like that can only happen if we get to know each other. And that can't happen if this, only, this, this setting is the only setting in which we engage one another. We have to continually be engaging one another. We have to be drawing out what's going on in each other's lives. And that we might support one another. We might build one another up. So this is, this is a specific admonition coming out of, this, out of this text. For young people, for younger people, for the younger generation, we need to be seeking this out and creating margin for this in our own lives. There are people in our congregation who are here who have more life experience, who are more mature, who have a greater understanding of, of what God's purposes are for us in, in this world, who have filtered things through gospel um, and, and experienced gospel uh, impact in our lives in very s significant ways. So for young people, um, 
We need people with life experience and biblical knowledge to speak truth into our lives and spur us on to greater godliness. So, young people, that's for you. Um, I'm not going to say older people. I'm going to say seasoned people. Seasoned people. Um, you need to make margin to cultivate uh, ground for these young people to plant themselves. You need to make margin to cultivate ground for young people to plant themselves. Because you have experience. So we need to learn about our marriage. We need to learn about raising kids. We need to learn about how to combat sin. We need to learn about our gospel witness. We need to learn about how to steward our resources. You guys have made mistakes that we haven't had the opportunity to make yet. And we need you to speak gospel truth through those experiences to us. So seasoned people, when you get to, when your kids get out of the house or get close to getting out of the house, you don't get to punch out. You don't get to punch out and say, I did that, I'm done with it. You don't get to do that. What you do is you, you look for more opportunities to be spiritual parents to the people who reside in the local church with you. You don't get to say, I paid my dues. You don't get to say, where's the shuffleboard at? You just say, I need to identify and, and build into the life of those who need me as spiritual parents. Young people then, this is about making space, right? This is about making space for people who are, who are more seasoned, who have a seasoned approach uh, to life. We need to make space for them to have a voice in our lives. There are generational differences. We approach the world very differently. We look at the world through different lenses. We need to set that aside and say, gospel lens, gospel truth. How can we recognize who we are and what we need and how we need to be built into? So this is what we see when Paul addresses Timothy as his child and why Paul can instruct so plainly throughout the book because he has this Impact. He has this relationship with Timothy that's almost unprecedented. It is incredible, the amount of relationship and the, the way that Paul can speak directly into Timothy's life and encourage him as one who is his spiritual child. Okay, so that's, that's the, we see that coming to bear in this greeting. So we've made it through two verses, so we're going to pick it up and pace a little bit. Okay, so verses 3 through 7, right? We're going to look at verses 3 through 7. And Paul is urging, he's urging Timothy regarding these distractions that are cropping up in the lo local church. He points out a couple of different things. To, uh, to instruct men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. So that's sort of the, the first place that he goes. He's, he's telling uh, Timothy to remain in Ephesus so that he might do these things. He's telling him to keep free from these strange doctrines and myths and pursuing endless genealogies. Why? Because they lead to, as we see towards the end of verse 4, they lead to speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. I'm not sure that this idea in our culture is, is, is like, we, we, we don't really like this one a whole lot, because we, what we like to say is, if you over here feel like that's something that you want to you engage in, and it's not hurting anyone else, that's fine. Go for it. Do it. But Paul is actually instructing Timothy to do the very opposite thing. 
He's saying, if, if these things are leading to speculation rather than furthering the ministration of God, which is the proclamation of the gospel, if, if, that is, if that is what's going on in this world, then we need to set those things aside. Those things are, first and foremost, distractions for us. Too true in our society, truth is often disregarded in the name of relativity. Let them do that for, for it's true. If it's true to them, as long as they aren't hurting anyone. But Paul tells Timothy what the goal of the instruction is. And there's three parts to this. And we see this together in verse 5. He says, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience. And this is your faith. Faith. Pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Love from a pure heart. It's like being a parent. We don't let our kids do whatever they want, right? For those of us who have young kids, we don't let them do whatever they want because that leads to ER visits. That leads to concussions. That leads to holes in our sheetrock. Um, those are the things that, that, that happen when we allow our kids. So we're, we're training our kids up and we're, 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 we're not allowing them just to do what they want. That's our, that's our, 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 our place our role as a parent. And so the idea of allowing our kids to do what they want is not loving. Our goal is instruction from love from a pure heart. It's not loving. It results in personal harm or injury, and it's actually, in, 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 if you take the opposite, it's actually hate. It's hateful to just allow them to do whatever they want. I cannot allow my three-year-old and my 18-month-old to jump off the bed as they were doing this morning while my wife was preparing, they were jumping off their bed and hitting their heads together, and it was just a mess. We can't allow them to do that. And so what Paul is saying is that chasing these doctrines, these myths, these genealogies, is to fundamentally miss the point. Love, instruction from a pure or instruction is love from a pure heart. This will course correct these things. We don't approach these things and say, man, you are doing this and this and this, and you are just way off base here. We approach them and say, gospel truth, it causes me to point out these things. causes me to point out the fact that you're being distracted. Gospel truth causes me to point out these things and say, you're being distracted from what's really important. That's Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. So the second thing Paul writes here in verse 5 is uh, a good conscience, right? A good conscience is in step with the Spirit of Christ. If the indwelling Spirit, for those of us in Christ, the indwelling Spirit resides within us and our conscience, if these two things are out of step, we'll know it. And there'll be internal strife and our conscience won't be clear. But Paul says we operate from a, a good conscience, a clear conscience. And then a sincere faith. The sincerity of our faith is seen in where our affections are. Do we have affection for Jesus and sound biblical teaching? This is the direction that Paul is going. We have affection for Jesus and sound biblical teaching that revolves around him, that is central, centralized in him. Or do we like speculation? I think in our flesh, yes, we like speculation. Speculation is easy. It's kind of fun. It feels good. 
I think this can be seen in what we devote our time to. Like if our affections are for Jesus, we devote our time in God's word. We talk about it with people. We, we, we build up our families in it. We, we engage in it together. I think, I think how this plays itself out is what we devote our time to. So one of the things here that, that just comes to mind is if we love speculation, do we, do we love gossip? Do we, do, we, do we like to engage together in gossip, speculating about the intents of others or their motivations or their heart? And nothing, nothing is more harmful to the church than gossip. Because that is, because that is the exact opposite of the gospel unity that we're seeking out. What, what, what gossip is saying is, we are not a people who come together as those who recognize and identify that our identity is first and foremost found in Jesus Christ, but we're saying our identity is found out in the way that you parent your children. Our identity is found in the way that we, we, we walk and we conduct ourselves, in our jobs, or in the, way that, in the way that we simply conduct or structure our lives, or the way that we order our homes, or, or all of these different things. And then we say, did you see how so-and-so did that? That's bogus. If we first and foremost find ourselves rooted in gospel truth, we first and foremost find our identity in Jesus, this gospel unity will follow. Gossip has no place in that. So we as a people who are in the flesh, who may be inclined to speak those things about others, if we are inclined to do that, the, the, the action isn't some behavior modification in which we engage with just, I'm just going to bite my tongue because if you're thinking it, you're still doing it. The goal is to continually preach the gospel to yourself. And say, just like me, that person was dead in his transgressions and his sins, but together has been made alive in Christ. And then how would they conduct their lives from that point forward what I'm not preaching to you, what I'm not preaching is just a, uh, uh, a just live and let live mentality. I'm not preaching that to you. Because there are maybe may things that are sinful in others' lives that, that are going on that need to be addressed. But first and foremost, our identity found in Jesus Christ, found in the good news of, of the gospel. And that relationship, that instruction, obviously this is not a live and let live uh, sort of ideal, right? Paul is telling Timothy to address these distractions in a way uh, that, that is grounded in gospel truth. But the gospel is the lens through which we see everything. It's the rubric through which we run everything in our lives. So we just need to ask ourselves, we love to engage in gossip, we love to speculate, we love to question others' motives, or we love to see people growing in their knowledge and love of Jesus through sound biblical teaching and encouragement in God's word. So sincere faith is seen by our affections, which is seen in what we devote our time to. Okay, verses 6 and 7 that we have. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. This is leading us directly into verses 8 through 11. So these guys have moved to fruitless discussions. They want to teach the law, but they don't understand the purpose of the law, even though they speak with confidence. 
So what is the, 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 uh, the purpose of the law? And so we get to verses 8 through 11, and we see that Paul is now encouraging Timothy to be discerning. He's, he's seeking to stir up discernment in the heart of his reader. These guys who want to be teachers of the law misunderstand the law. So Paul gives Timothy this other rubric, right? This additional uh, sort of filter for him. And he says very clearly in verse 8, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. What does that mean? That we sure, like, that, that makes sense. If you use the law lawfully, then the law is good, right? But what he means by this is that the law is the, is the, is the means by which our sin is identified and pointed out to us, right? So the Holy Spirit works in conjunction with the law in order that we might see that we are a sinful people. And that we are in need of a Savior. But the, the law never addresses our sin. The law is incapable of doing that, but it is capable of pointing it out. We are not justified by the works of the law. We are justified by faith through grace. And so uh, we have uh, this laundry list that Paul gives here then. In verse nine, and this is almost parenthetical here. If you're if you're reading, if you read verse eight, then then you can almost insert just like structurally how Paul is making this argument. You can also uh, uh, insert this beginning parenthesis, this uh, start here to of this aside in verse nine, and it goes to the end of verse ten. So almost read this parenthetically with me. Realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers and for immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Almost parenthetical there. Um, so Paul is calling Timothy to be discerning, but when he gives us this laundry list, this is what the law is for, to so point out these things. And, and you may look at this list and say, I'm not killing my mom and dad. Like, I, didn't, I didn't kill my mom and dad, so how is this for me? But Paul, what Paul is saying here is that the law, is when it's used lawfully, points out these things. It points out that, that we ultimately are righteous. When, when he says, uh, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, that's all of us. That's every single person. It's not made for the righteous person. If, if you can live completely according to what God has his purpose and is intended for you, then great. Then, then the law is not for you. But we know that no one is capable of that. We know that no one is capable of that except for one man, Jesus Christ. So this laundry list is not, to, not for us to sit here and look at each one of those things. Well, I'm not that one. I'm not that one. I'm not that. I'm not that. That is cultivating self Righteousness, which does not justify. We look at this and say, yes, no, this is me. I am unrighteous. And so Paul is calling Timothy to be, uh, in, to be discerning. And he's saying the law is good if it's used correctly as, as a tool to point out of our sin. And so when we look at 9 and 10 and we see it parenthetically, we can almost read verses 8 and 11, couple those together. We have the, the big thought from this little chunk. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. 
He's saying the, the lawful use of the law is to point out our sin in the larger context of the gospel. Doesn't address our sin, points us to it. Jesus addresses our sin. So 8 through 11, read those together. The law is good when we read it in the context of the gospel because we need to recognize our sin. So here, here's, where, here, here's where the rub is for our Buffalo City Church family. Um, it's this. As we look at this text, discern. Be a people who discern. What does that look like? It looks like this gospel rubric that Paul is setting out for Timothy. I can't tell you how much my heart breaks when I see people devoting their time to things that aren't gospel-centered. And I'm not talking about watching CSI. Why ringing? Um, or is that in my head? Um, I'm, I'm not talking about watching CSI or, 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 or things that, that walk you through the take you into the secular realm. I'm talking about things under the heading of Christian living at the bookstore that show up are devoid of Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's what I'm talking about. I think for far too long, we as a people have looked at things and said, oh, that is morally okay, and then we've accepted it and let it walk through the front door of our churches, and it is effectively destroying us because it's distracting us from the gospel truth. That's right. So read your Bible. Pray for, for, pray for discernment like Paul is admonishing Timothy here. And sometimes it's cloudy. And that's why we need to live together. That's why we need to do things together as a church body. Because we as a people are sometimes just incapable of seeing why, why this is distracting me from gospel truth. We need others to help us discern. We need to ask questions. We need to ask the question of others in our Buffalo City Church family. Why? What do you think? Is this biblical? Are these things biblical that I'm investing my time in or is it distracting me from gospel truth? Pray for discernment. Love gospel-centered resources. There are things that there, we don't, I think, I think the, uh, falling off the other side of the horse is just as harmful. Is just as harmful if we say, well, okay, well, then all I'm going to do is read my Bible. So there are people out there who, who love their Bible and want you to engage it um, and who point us to the gospel all of the time. And most of all, we need to love God's word first and foremost. That's where we start. This isn't about methods. It's about believing the gospel. Beware of people who tell you that you need to raise your kids like this or that because it's a method, first and foremost. It's not gospel truth. Beware of people who tell you that a successful marriage always looks like this or that. That's not true. We're wired differently. God has created us very differently, and our marriages look different. And if it's not run through the rubric, through the filter of gospel truth, those things are going to look different. Beware of popular preachers. Beware of just pulling up sermons.org or whatever you pull up and, and just clicking the first thing. Because there are guys out there who are not preaching Bible. They're, they're, preaching, they're preaching false doctrines. They're engaging in strange doctrines. They're engaging in myths. They're engaging in endless genealogies. 
And they give rise to speculation. And then we sit there and we think to ourselves, what is even going on in our world? Why is this happening? Blah, 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 blah. And we, and we think to ourselves, well, what, what, I, I can't even make sense of what's going on. Beware of Christian bookstores. Not, not because Christian bookstores are inherently wrong, but there are things in Christian bookstores that aren't pointing us to Jesus. It exists. It happens. We've substituted, in some instances, moralism and conservatism for gospel. I could go on. But my admonition to you and Paul's admonition to Timothy is just discern. Believer, discern. I am fully convinced of this. This might sound like hyperbole, but I believe this in my heart of hearts. That societal, moral decay, political oppression, physical harm are far less threats to us than the things that walk through our front door and distract us from the gospel. I believe that to be true in my heart of hearts. I read it at the end of the, the uh, at the end of our service last week in, in Acts chapter five when when the when the apostles were just getting beaten up. They're just getting beaten time and time again with rods and things like that, and they counted it joy. They counted it. They counted it. Uh, they counted it a privilege. Luke tells us in Acts to, to suffer for the sake of Jesus' name. Okay, discernment. So we want to be a people who avoid these distractions. We want to be a people who are discerning. And then finally, a people who Paul is encouraging Timothy or admonishing him to be one who regularly engages in doxology. If that's not a word that you're familiar with, here's the root. Doxa is, 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 is a word that means uh, uh, glory. And then the second half of that word is logos, which is speaking of, word, um, engaging in. So doxology, I, I don't regularly do that. I don't regularly do the etymology because um, sometimes it can be confusing. Um, but doxology, speaking of glory, speaking in this instance of God's glory. So if we move then, we're going to move down to verse 12 through the end of the chapter. Um, 12 through 20. Paul is thanking, early on in this, Paul is thanking Jesus for what God is strengthening him to do when he, and what he's called to do. So we have this almost laundry list, not a laundry list, sort of like this, um, this exposition of what uh, Paul's previous failings are. And then in verse 15, this is the touchstone for Paul. This is the gospel truth. It is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. Engaging in things, right? He's engaging in blasphemy. He's engaging in, um, in persecution and, and violent aggression. And then he charges Timothy as we move our way through this text to fight the good fight of faith. Or he says, fight the good fight in verse 18. Uh, uh, fight the good fight, keeping the faith and a good conscience. Again, second time we've seen good conscience here. Which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. 
We actually even have two, uh, two examples here, Hymenaeus and Alexander in verse 20. This is the negative example. These are the guys who have bought into these, uh, these, these uh, strange doctrines, these myths, these endless genealogies, who have not focused on gospel truth. They shipwreck their faith. They're violating a good or a clear conscience. Um, their belief in the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel is compromised. They trust in other things like their understanding and adherence to the law. These might even be the guys who are, who are preaching us a law that, uh, that is not uh, found within the, the overall structure of the gospel. And they lead others astray in that thinking, and so Paul has set them aside. This is even specifically, I've handed them over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So these are the guys that Timothy needs to instruct not to teach strange doctrines. There are other guys like this out there. There are guys like this in Ephesus. Paul is encouraging uh, Timothy to engage them with sound teaching, good doctrine, the good news of the gospel. So the question for us then, even as we look through 12 through 20, what is the takeaway for us as a church? Um, God's work in our own lives, um, this is the doxology part, God's work in our own lives causes us to praise Him, to speak of His glory. This is what Paul is doing. And we even sort of have like this ramp up. Paul's getting, sometimes when you're reading, you just imagine himself, get, he, all of a sudden he's like standing up, he's getting a little frothy, he's like writing stuff down. And then in verse 17, this outpouring. Now, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is doxology. This is speaking of God's glory. So we focus on God's work in our lives and bringing us out of sin into right relationship with Him. We continually shaping us in the likeness of Jesus. Those are both results of the gospel. Because the gospel impacts us immediately when we profess Christ, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And then secondly, um, when, we, uh, when, when we're being made more into the likeness of Jesus. So our doxology for Paul and Timothy needs to be protected. How? We defend gospel truth. We defend sound teaching and doctrine. We don't subscribe to silly myths or endless genealogy, but we instruct from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Okay. Conclusion. Those three things that we've talked about. Uh, distractions, discernment, and doxology. In conclusion, how does this contribute to our thinking about church membership? Because this is the direction that we're going. Sound teaching is important. We need to be grounded, first and foremost, in the Word of God. It's grounded in the Gospel. It's grounded in, in it points us to Jesus. And, it, and its end is to bring God glory, which is the doxology piece. That's how we discern if teaching is sound or not. Is it rooted in the Gospel? We speak Gospel truth to one another as we engage one another outside of these walls. Right? We continually speak Gospel truth to one another. Our church is one that seeks to be known and grounded in good doctrine. Um, you may be hearing me say that word, and you're thinking, well, I don't, I don't really get into that theology aspect. I don't really get into that doctrine stuff. But I'm telling you, no, you do, because everything that you do in your daily life is, is rooted in what you believe about who God is. And good doctrine leads us to discernment. If we're not grounded in biblical doctrine, if we're not grounded in truth, then we'll lack discernment 
And we begin to chase these strange doctrines, these silly myths, these endless genealogies. So we need to build one another up in these understandings and these ideas. Instructing one another in gospel truth leads to doxology because it promotes our understanding of God's work in our own life. When it opens our eyes to see how God is working in our lives, it opens our eyes to see what He is doing. And then we praise God and we bring glory. We speak of the glory of God. Um, here's a statement for you. This is not original. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. We're not satisfied in Him if we're struggling to uphold some aspect of the law. We're not satisfied in Him if we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. We're not satisfied in Him if we're filling our brains with moralistic, seemingly benign materials that keep us from feasting on gospel truth. This is where we're at. These are areas that we hold one another accountable as we partner together at Buffalo City Church. The gospel is central. We put off distractions. We discern them through the weighing them in the balance of gospel truth. Here's gospel truth. Here's this. Do they, do they line up? And then finally, we praise God and we glorify Him because of what he has done for us, because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.